As anybody who's sat with me at all over the years uh, knows, I I love the I love the Dharma, I love the teachings, love the practices. Of, um, I I feel like it's um, a kind of secret sauce for finding some well-being and happiness and and balance in this. Uh, what just was reinforced today again and again is that we literally live in a hell realm. We, you know, the best of circumstances here, and yet there is just so much greed and so much delusion, so much hatred, so much uh, unconsciousness, and a way that, you know, our you know, just one example of the federal workers held hostage by a, a, a vanity, a, you know, a desire to be right and to have uh, what I want and how the, how the, the identity, when one is so absorbed in their own identity and their own uh, grandiosity, how, how that creates a certain obliviousness to the impact of, of our actions. And to whatever degree we're ever absorbed in our own internal drama, we can become quite oblivious to those around us. But when you see it on the grand scale, it's, it's, um, it's so painful. And then the people who are most impacted, especially in our country, are the people who are already, to some degree, marginalized or unseen. Um, and so all the more reason why we, we may forget that there is a possibility, even in this, what I'm calling tonight a hell realm, a place that where even the, those with the be, in the best of circumstances, ha, their lives, if you're born in this plane, your life is marked by some measure of unsatisfactoriness, something that you want that you don't have, something that you have that you don't want, uh, some kind of stress uh, based on the th loss, based on change, based on, on, um, on just... The fact that we are, um, just the ever-present fact, if your eyes are open to the fact that everything and everyone who comes into being then fades away. And that's, a, that's an intense experience. And of course it would be even maybe worse if it went on and on and on. That would be a real problem. If, we, if you had the... the uh, you know, deja vu all over, if you just kept getting up and doing the same thing over and over and keep going, 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 and there's no end to it, the Groundhog Day phenomena would drive us mad. So there's something very beautiful and poignant about the reality of change and impermanence, but there's something about it that's really hard to bear. And I think it's important that we open to that. And this is where the teachings come in so beautifully, both as a uh, uh, reminder of what is actually true about our existence and to not to adopt, adopt a belief system about it, but to really look for ourselves, see for ourselves if what the teachings say is accurate. Uh, and then to, to live in accordance with that truth so that you 
so that you're, in spite of there being things that are difficult to bear, that you don't in any way in your life, to the extent possible, you don't in any way compound that stress by the way that you um, conduct your life, by the way that you relate to your experience. And the, the biggest, one of our biggest causes of stress is that we, when something is difficult to be with, we tend to reject it, tighten up around it, become afraid, become angry. And that just is like shooting two arrows. The first arrow is the difficulty of this situation, something complicated, some person, some, some whatever it is that's going on that's really hard. Do, do any of you relate to the idea of there's something being hard to deal with in your life? So that's enough to really take that in and to be able to know, oh, this is difficult. This is, as one of the practices done in, the, in some of the self-compassion work, as we say, oh, this is a moment of suffering. Uh, and then, I rem- then the second part is reminding ourselves, oh, this is part of life. Can I meet this with kindness? Now, that's a way of experiencing the stress that may be presenting itself and not compounding it meeting it, and then through meeting it, understanding that whatever that stress is, uh, that you can sit in the middle of it, that you can find balance and even peace with it. You're, no, you're not fighting with reality. And then the alternative is uh, something stressful, and our mind goes into fear or anger, and then, our, then we start projecting how that's going to continue endlessly and how I'm always going to feel this way or this always happens to me, why me? And we build a whole story and a drama and then, and this is what's called shooting the second arrow that just compounds our stress. And this part of our, the reactivity in our mind is really quite optional. That's something that is conditioned. It's a conditioned habit that we can untrain as well as it has been trained. It's been entrained pretty much unconsciously through modeling of, you know, if you look at the news, everybody's looking for somebody to blame. Has blaming anybody actually ever brought the end of suffering? All it's done is add a second arrow. It's just compounded the suffering. It doesn't solve anything. I notice when I'm railing against the politicians, it's just, just second arrows, third arrows, fourth arrows, fifth arrows. But the beauty of the Dharma is we can become awake to what our, our conditioning is already and use our conditioning, do a kind of Tai Chi, put our conditioning to good use, even our second and third arrows, putting them to good use and turning them into the, uh, churning them and turning it into the, uh, I'm hearing a line from one of the old sutras, turning it into the milk of the Dharma, letting it, letting it um, become sustenance, become the cause of our awakening, becoming the cause of our compassion if we can actually feel how stressed out we've made ourselves unknowingly. To, to really take that in and meet that, uh, it, it gets... Um, we're in training self-compassion. We're in training understanding rather than more blame, more complaints. So to, to, to encourage this, this um, different way, this more 
um, helpful way of being with life the way it is, the, the Buddha mapped it out really very simply. He said, first and foremost, come to the, come to the, um, open your eyes to the, to the fact that things are hard to, to bear if you're born a human. If you're born in any kind of sentient being, you will have things that are hard to deal with. So start by really opening to that truth so that you don't think you're the only one when you're struggling. Everybody, if, I, if we were able to, and I, I do this a lot here, I, I reflect on this, saying I'd love to hear everybody's story, I, I'm sure everybody could tell a story that would break your heart here. You know, that's part of what it means to be alive is we've, we've had to live through things. And we have to live through things that have not yet occurred. That's a, that's a part of our existence. So the first step is to really open to that truth. That's the first noble truth. Life has within it things that are hard to bear. Welcome it, open to it. The second is to really see that um, that it's not just, it's not just the, um, the truth of things that is problematic. That just comes with everybody. But what really causes mental suffering is the way we relate, we relate to that truth, is what we do with it. It's often that, that extra arrow. But the third truth that the Buddha spoke about was that there is a way of being free of that um, that compounding of stress. There's a way to be actually well and happy uh, in this very life. And the fourth thing he talked about, and that's the, the really hopeful thing, the thing that gets me really excited, is that there's a, a, a very clear way, a practical way, that each of us in the span of our life, in this life, can, um, can find that sense of of well-being. It's not just for, for a few fortunate ones. It's for anyone who, um, who takes to heart the possibility uh, that there is a sense of freedom, of well-being, of happiness. You know, most of us don't even walk around with a model that there is even a possibility of being happy, except for what we get from advertising that says to, you know, to, that the, true, the way to happiness is to shop till you drop or to distract yourself or to think all day or whatever. But that's really, the promise of that is understood to be only offering a little short-term hit even though it's, it's explained as the, the secret to happiness, wealth, name, fame, whatever, whatever you're chasing after, it's understood that because things change, there's no, no changing kind of happiness that is reliable. Anything that comes and goes is not a reliable kind of happiness. But in general, you hear this word happy, but, but it's not really taken to heart that the, it's possible to be really happy in this life. And I don't mean just happy with a good mood, a sense of being settled, being at home, because 
as most of you, if you've probably thought about your own path of happiness, you're, most of us are looking for the end of the rainbow where we can say, where we can say, yeah, I've, I've achieved what I want to achieve. I got what I wanted. And most of us, if we're honest, we'll say, well, what do I expect to feel at the end of that rainbow when I get what I want or get rid of what I don't want? I expect to feel a sense of relief, a sense of ah. Well, the Buddha suggested that we shouldn't postpone that sense of ah that we should practice it. Practice the end at the beginning. Not wait to be well. Not wait to be happy. Not in any way let our mind lift out of this moment to f as a source of any kind of imagined future being the source of our well-being and happiness. But to, to find it None, nowhere else other than as the very nature of the mind through which you're now perceiving, right here, in this very room, in this very moment. And it is only the habit of mind of seeking, of craving for sense experience, for being somebody, for, um, for being merged with something, it's, that, it's, it's because of that trick that our mind plays in its constant seeking, because it's associated with a little pleasure, there's pleasure in seeking, that prevents us from seeing that what we're actually seeking is, what's, is what it is that's seeking. What it, we're actually seeking, but not finding, is ourselves as we are. Not the idea of ourselves, because the idea of ourselves is always problematic. It's always flawed. Always something wrong. But the direct experience of ourselves, that can't be so easily put in words. That's, that's relief. It's peace itself. And that one does not have to lift out of this moment to find it. So easily missed. That's why it's sometimes or often called an open secret. And so the Dharma, the teachings, point to the realization of a cessation, of fading away, achieved moment by moment, a fading away of this chronic tendency to be going out in search, postponing this sense of relief and settling instead having what the Buddha called misplaced faith in things that actually leave us, give us a moment of pleasure, but then leave us in a, in a state of dissatisfaction and then the need, uh, this chronic need to keep filling this kind of black hole of um, this hole of unsatisfactoriness. Just increasing the sense of need. And this sense of need is just a habitual mental state. Notice 
in this moment, after your last need has passed and before the next one comes, notice when you're just here, do you need anything? If you don't consult your memory or your habitual mind, do you need anything? Is anything missing? The teachings suggest that all desires are actually fulfilled in a moment of being with your life just the way it is. And it has many byproducts though too. Being with your life just the way it is, what comes with it is a certain clarity of, of what's happening in your life. And with clarity comes a much more likelihood that you will have a more wise and loving response to the life that you find yourself in. Again, not the idea of your life, but, the, but what's actually showing up real time. So how do we get used to, how do we, how do we in some ways stop this constant going, this constant running from peace, this constant postponement. How do we remember? How, how does this open secret become revealed to us? And how do we get so used to it that we don't stray away from ourselves anymore? The Buddha recommended basically three things. He said, go to the Buddha for refuge. He didn't say, he didn't mean go to some historical person to think about the historical Buddha. When he said, go to the Buddha for refuge, means go to, Buddha means awake. Go to being awake for refuge, being aware. So how far do you have to travel to be aware? How long does it take? It's your natural state. Try not to be aware right now. He said, go to the Buddha for refuge. Then he said, go to the Dharma for refuge. Which in the most immediate sense is whatever the Buddha is knowing right now. Whatever is showing up in your experience. How far do I have to travel to do that? To be with the way things are right now. And then the third thing he said, and it seems, I think it helps us a lot, is go to the Sangha for refuge. Go to other beings who remind you that it's not shop till you drop that makes you happy. It's stop till you stop going that makes you happy. It's pay attention whether you're moving, whether you're sitting, whether you're walking, whether you're lying down, whether you're standing, stay present. Keep the company that reminds you that peace is an inside job. Because otherwise we tend to just kind of fall to the lowest common denominator when we're around people who are who 
who are distraction at any cost. We, we're just swirling. If we're, it doesn't mean you, you have to become a joiner or something. It's just make sure that you have some like-minded company that, that, that mirrors your most heartfelt uh, values and desires. I assume all of you long to be well and happy. Yes? Then at least keep the company of those who know something have, know a little bit about that open secret. So that's the basic Buddha Dharma Sangha. But then there's the, the more philosophical part of the, of the Dharma, which are the teachings. Go to the teachings for refuge. And, and the Buddha was very clear when it came to, to happiness and well-being that there's basically, and this is the fourth truth that the Buddha talked about, is that there's three main areas that we can really work with in our life that will help us to settle into that natural happiness of being conscious. Those three domains, one is the, the domain of conduct, is that we, we let take root in our life the practice and make it conscious the practice of non-harming. From the moment we get up in the morning till the time we go to bed, we, we have a recollection. I do not, I will do no harm today to the extent possible. Of course, I'm going to be, have lots of unconscious moments, but try not to do any harm. Not to do any harm with my body, with my speech, or even in my thoughts. Means means ending hate speech internally toward ourselves or toward anybody else. Practicing kindness, practicing speech that is true, tell the truth, useful, timely, for the benefit, harmonious. So I'm wondering, how many, for how many of you is that a conscious intention every day to do no harm? should be all of us, at least a, portion, a part of our, of our intention, because everything hangs in our life on the, on the tip of our intentions. Everything is driven by this engine that drives our action. And hopefully, if the intention is to do no harm, you really may, you take it to heart. And the Buddha spoke mostly about wise speech, wise action, which means... Um, that includes right livelihood, um, uh, training precepts, killing, stealing, uh, exploitation in our sexuality, um, uh, the excessive use of intoxicants, you know, just the general, um, um, just the general things that we all know cause us um, harm. Not taking that which is not offered, um, yeah, not telling the truth, all those things cause a reverberation and make it hard to just let ourselves be. Ruminating about things I said or did. We, we want to end that to where you feel like you're, you can experience what the Buddha called the bliss of blamelessness. Where you feel like there's, there's nothing that you need to uh, replay or regret. So it's just practice. 
And then, of course, part of that is forgiving ourselves when we do do something unconscious. So establishing, I could do a whole talk on, on non-harming, but that's really key. And I think we're still toward the beginning of the year, so why not commit to every day getting up and thinking about doing no harm? And in any way possible to, to stay in a state of heartfulness, of love. I, I think it's the only way to handle the, this realm of existence is to stay in touch with goodwill and love. The second part, the first part is really the do no harm. The second part is to train your attention to be present. Keep your mind in your body and your body in your mind. How many of you every day say, do, how many of you practice every day? It's portable. It's not just sitting. It's as you get up from the bed, as you turn the faucet, as you eat, as you walk, as you drive, as you listen, as you speak, everything is a, is a potential uh, place of practice. So that's the part of the Noble Eightfold Path called wise effort, wise mindfulness, wise concentration. Creating, having our mind in the present moment. You do it over and over, you'll get the rapture of concentration, of of one-pointedness, the one point that allows you to feel that you're connected to everything instead of this little whirling, this, this whirling thing cut off from the flow of life. You can, you'll feel, it's like that need to connect is fulfilled by just having your attention in the present moment over and over. It's just the, the breeding ground for affection to be present. Can't help it. So there's the, there's the, um, the joy that comes from a well-concentrated mind and heart. And then, so there's the cultivation of non-harming, the cultivation of, of mindfulness, concentration, and energy, and effort. And then finally, there's the cultivation of wisdom. There is inclining your mind toward wholesome intentions, which is intention for, for non-harming was one of them, intention for generosity as opposed to, to, um, to greed, uh, and intention for, I think I spoke of it a little bit, intention for renunciation, for simplicity, contentment, uh, as opposed to uh, just being uh, what we call a, a hungry ghost, a person with just a little mouth and a huge stomach, never satisfied. So living with, with finding contentment with simplicity, it's kind of like a foreign language in this, in this uh, culture of intense acquisition, acquiring experiences and things. And, but to know how little we actually need to be happy. So the Buddha, when he sat under the Bodhi tree, or when he did his practice, he, he established a practice of non-harming, and that, was, that seemed to come pretty natural for him. Then he established the happiness of being concentrated, conscious, one-pointed, 
And he said, that, and that gladdened his heart so much, but he said that that's not really exactly completely free because there's a tendency, even when you feel that the gladness of being one-pointed, there's a tendency to get kind of attached to, to that as a kind of meditative experience. But then, because he, his intention was to, to um, be free of any dependency, to have a happiness that was unconditional. He knew that there was not one experience in life that could, because everything's changing, that could give him lasting satisfaction. And so what was necessary is that he find a, a, a different kind of happiness. And it turned out that once he saw that there was no experience that could be clung to as a reliable source of happiness, something in his mind let go. And he realized that, that the freedom that we seek doesn't come from holding on, it comes from letting go. That the freedom that we seek is the, uh, our own mind aware when we're not grabbing onto something and pushing something away. That there's a natural peace and ease available to us that is the natural peace and ease of our nature. And this must be realized. We must recognize this. This is the highest happiness because it's the kind of well-being that, that is, doesn't depend on what's going on in your life. It depends on, it depends on nothing. It is, it's your natural state. So it's not an acquisition. It's something that's left when your mind is free of its usual preoccupations, free of its usual state of grasping, hoping, expecting, complaining. It's, it's always already available in open relaxation and letting go. So that's one of my teachers, Ajahn Sumedho, said, Do, um, you could simplify everything, all the teachings and everything, down to two words, letting go. As he says, rather than try to develop this practice and that practice and go into this and go into that, learn the sutras and the Buddha psychology and the, all the different traditions, says, just let go. You don't need to become the world-renowned authority on Buddhism, being invited to international Buddhist conferences. Just let go. He says, I did nothing but this for years. I just say, let go, until desires would fade out. He says, I'm trying to save you from getting caught in incredible amounts of suffering. He says, there's nothing more sorrowful than having to attend international Buddhist conferences. <laughs> so forget about becoming the Buddha of the age, Maitreya, radiating love throughout the world. Just be an earthworm who knows two words, let go. As he says, ours is the lesser vehicle, the Theravada, the Hinayana. So we just have this simple poverty-stricken practice of letting go. 
But letting go is really just any moment where you are aware of things just the way they are. There's no clinging in a moment of awareness. So start from the moment you wake up till the time you go to bed. And just mix in a little non-harming with a little mind training and wise understanding and you can be free in this very life. And, and how far do you have to travel to do that? So may we all be awake together. May we all do no harm and may our practice tonight and every night be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all and may the government open <laughs> and may we rid ourselves of this um, horrible, horrible um, human example other than you know, he's great as a guru for our dealing with our own ill will, but gotta get rid of the guy. <laughs> anyway, thank you. Sorry for the political comment. May we all be happy.